Below Podcast, people. This is AC from AC Toy Design. Uh, this will be episode 12 of the You Like Toys podcast. Contrary to what you might hear in the beginning of this episode where I say 11. 11 was with my brother. Uh, for continuity's sake, I am out on the porch even though it's freezing and starting to snow. I wanted to give that to you guys. Uh, and on this episode, just a quick intro to what you're going to hear is my buddy Josh Blum of the 13th Hour Podcast. He's a fellow 80s enthusiast, uh, resin toy maker, and he came from Pennsylvania. He was visiting, and we sat down for a couple podcast recordings, one of which, part one, uh, is on his social media, the 13th Hour Podcast, 13, 13th Hour Podcast, excuse me, on Instagram, um, I believe Facebook, uh, you can find him searching Josh Blum and we talked for probably an hour on his and another hour on, on mine here and that's oh, freezing. <laughs> um, but anyway, I wanted to let you guys know also the, the audio quality recording for this podcast, this episode is a little off. It's not consistent. You can hear me pretty clear. Josh is kind of in the background, so just uh, listen closely when he talks. I'm really sorry about that. But this this was actually the first guest that I had on this podcast using the Anchor app, and I didn't I didn't know how it was going to go. When I interviewed my brother uh, on episode 11, I had kind of gotten used to it, but I flip flopped the order of which I released these podcasts uh, because I wanted Josh to get his out there first. So just keep that in mind. Thanks for tuning in. I am podcasting from the porch right now, but when I'm talking to Josh, we're in the, uh, I think it was the Marriott Hotel downtown Chicago with an amazing view. They were really cool and gave us an entire conference room just to ourselves with about 73 chairs and a great view looking down on Rush Street uh, with all the traffic and the lights and everything. Um, And if you're on the Patreon, I'm going to post some uh, photos of our recording and some of the toys and resin stuff that he brought for me, which was really great. It was great to see Josh. He's a good guy. And look for, look for his uh, episode one over on the 13th Hour Podcast. And also look for our future Arnold Schwarzenegger heavy Terminator uh, podcast that we'll be doing on his channel coming up after we see the new Terminator movie. Um, Yeah, we like talking Schwarzenegger, so that'll be coming up later. Anyway, enjoy the podcast. I'm going to go back inside. It's cold. All right, folks. Uh, This is a treat today, and I'm glad we're getting this in before Halloween. I am sitting here with my friend Josh Blum of the 13th Hour Podcast, correct? Yeah. All right. And... What we're doing, Josh is visiting. Josh is a friend uh, of the past year and a half-ish. And I've been on, he's had me on his podcast um, a couple of times at least. Yeah. Right? And every time we're on there, I feel like we're talking about Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> Have we done something different? Uh, not <laughs> we did like, over the summer we did, uh, last summer we did, uh, a few times. we did like command, like his like, yeah. his like action Predator, movies. Predator, Predator Conan. Yeah. Anyway, we just talked 80s movies. Um, 
but we he's visiting Chicago and so I came downtown to uh, hang out with him and record his podcast and now we're recording You Like Toys and we're sitting in where are we the Marriott uh, NBC Suites on like in the heart of Chicago they gave us this like uh conference room with like 73 chairs and a view of the street it's amazing and it's quiet it's awesome except for the maintenance guys that were just in here vacuuming which which in order to hear that check out his podcast you know what number it's going to be your podcast all right it's in the two it's like it would be like what did you just post two something i think what is it 218 218 it'll be after that it'll be after that so look for that for um the the first part of this actually look for that but uh so yeah, so Josh is a fellow 80s nostalgia head. He is a an artist, he's a musician, um, and I wanted to take, since I had the opportunity, to just kind of like pick his brain about what he's doing, what he does, where you can find him in the AC garbage style that I do. No, no, I appreciate that opportunity. So let's talk, uh, let's talk Josh Blum world. What... Um, where do I want to start? I want to start with, I want to start with this. Wouldn't you say that this is where the music is? The music where? So or the book or the yeah, writing? Yeah. So so it all started like um, I guess uh, probably when I was a kid. Um, uh, I had always really really wanted to like things like uh, fantasy books and uh, comics and, and, and video games, and I generally had a horrendous time. All of that, and it, I guess it's a little bit different. It's gonna make me sound like an old man, but whatever, man. Yeah, <laughs> I do it every podcast. Yeah, but you know, because there was there was no great place to go to find out kind of what was good. So you just kind of like hail married it, and it like, kind of took what you could get. If you went to the store and bought a game or something like that, you just like, all right, well that's fifty bucks. I hope it's good. You know, you had like Nintendo Power or something like that, but it was that even that was like just a basically an advertisement for Nintendo. So I would go and, you know, you would, you would see these great covers of, like, different sci-fi and fantasy books. And, and uh, then you would actually get my experience when I would, I would open the book and try to read it, and I would have a horrendous time. Like, I couldn't understand it. Like, I just couldn't get into it. I was like, this cover looks amazing. You know, the art and everything like that looks amazing. And, um, and then I, there was a couple, I had a handful of games and things like that. And sort of the same experience. So... I wanted to create a book that I would have liked to read as a kid, and so that's where the 13th Hour came from, and so my influences really were, um, I had a tough time with, with books and things like that as a kid, I, I always really wanted to like them, and there were definitely some that I, I, I enjoyed, but um, by far and away the thing that kind of influenced me the most were probably those 80s sci-fi and fantasy movies that you know, I grew up watching. Things like the Never Ending Story and Labyrinth and uh, The Last Starfighter. Yes. Uh, you know, so many great ones. Um, awesome. And uh, there's the, that was when I was a kid, like sort of like below 10. Um, and uh, I still remember like maybe the, what, I, what I would consider maybe the best day of my life. <laughs> <laughs> best day of my life. And it was like, uh, which when I describe it, it's not going to sound like a whole lot, but I mean, the, 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 the capstone of it was that my um, I, I remember asking my mom and it would have been a good day because I remember asking my mom would you go to the store she was going to the grocery store um, and 
had a rental section in like it's like a shop right or food or something like that. They had a rental section where you could rent like some VHS movies and uh, NES games. And I, 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 it must have been a good day because I remember I, I asked her, I was bold enough to ask her, can you rent a video game for me? Which it never would have, never would have flown right otherwise. And I, I, I remember asking her, can you rent the game Contra? Yes. Right, which is a right. great game. Yeah. Right. And uh, I had some friends who had it and they played it, but of course I didn't have it myself. So my mom apparently went to the store and she read the back of it. She's like, "Oh my god, this is." She thought it was like about the Iron Contra. Like, <laughs> she's like, "No, we're gonna get this piece of shit. I'm gonna get this." So she rented the movie Space Camp. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> which, which you know, for the next several years, I wanted to be an astronaut. And, yeah. Uh, Space came went south, but so it was movies like that That's that amazing. just kind of um, they. I guess they gave me a window into uh, a, a life and a world that I just hadn't. Exp- I, I couldn't quite envision, you know, um, in in the life I had, and so it was like a. It's kind of like when you uh, you give people like. Um, experience or something like that that uh, they it just opens their mind right and I think that's probably what those films did for me and there's a whole bunch of them um, I, I talk about them all the time and I talk about them still now and people generally kind of look at me and laugh but uh, welcome to my world. yeah you know whatever yeah. I, I don't care um, yeah. even including some ones that uh, people why did you like that movie like Howard the Duck and uh, dude as bad as I, I can know, acknowledge Howard the Duck is bad but there is nothing bad about watching it and I, enjoying you know, it because there's I, I so many good so many things times. in there. It's so bad, but there's so many good things. So I watched it so many times as a kid, and um, so that that's if, if you notice the particular character, I'm holding the this character. Um, uh, it's a resin or, figure that you made. Yeah, Aurora. We'll good there. That's where her hair comes from. Oh no, shit. Yeah, so anyway. that's awesome. So anyway, so these, you know, Leah uh, Thompson. Or well, I guess, yeah. I mean, it was mostly the, the big hair that she had okay, in the movie. Okay, sure. You know. Yeah, she was a yeah, um, it was good. So, uh, the, uh, uh, it, was the, it was movies like that, and I, and, I, and I put them all together, and I was like, you know, and this is, this is retrospectively me figuring this stuff out. At the time, um, I had no clue, but I went, the summer after I graduated from high school, uh, I was 19 or 18 or something like that, um, I was like, I'm going to write a book. So I wrote what was a very bare bones uh, version of the 15th hour, and uh, I, and I just wanted it for myself. I was like, this is something I, I have all these ideas. I want to do it. Um, I talked about this with my brother before, who's been on uh, my show a couple times, and um, I don't know. We, like, both of us, we kind of just our minds just generate ideas and um, putting them down in a form like a in music or. kid I would always come up with like the be thinking of like uh, music and things like that creating my own songs and that kind of thing and distinct memories of me trying to do my homework uh, in like grade school or whatever but being distracted by the songs that I wanted to create and I had no way of actually doing making that a reality at the time but um, so 
fast forward, whatever. Um, and so I created this, I wrote this book and then I didn't do anything with it for a long time. It was just, I printed it out like uh, my family's like, um, whatever. Word processor. Yeah, yeah, the, <laughs> the, uh, the version of it, you know, not Dot Matrix, whatever. Like, it was like, whatever came after that. Yeah. Um, but I, I printed it out and like, uh, like double-sided. Uh, it took forever because they flipped the pages over and right. in color I did all these illustrations for it. I guess what I wanted to create at the time, so I still don't, nothing like this actually exists, but the closest I can come to it, there's a scene in the movie Big, you've seen that movie yeah. where they're talking about, it's the adult Tom Hanks character and the, when he when he's actually in the toy company and he's talking about this interactive comic book. Yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah. Like, where, and they're, they're proposing this thing. So I guess that's the sort of thing that I kind of wanted to make. I wanted to make like a physical book that you could flip through the pages, but then you could kind of like, at a certain point, maybe like press a button or something, and you would hear music coming out of it for that particular scene, or you would press a button and you would hear, you would see like a scene playing before you, just like it was like a miniature movie. And I guess that's like, I guess the closest to that would be like today, like an ebook or like a website or something, or an interactive like. A pop up book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it, you know, this was whatever. Um, right now years ago so nothing like that really existed but um so the idea of just a written kind of something you would read and then the picture would just be in your mind it's just i don't know i guess i guess when i think of things when i think of ideas um it typically comes it's not like in a logical flow unfortunately it typically isn't like pictures or like um imagery yeah it's imagery or it's in music and so a lot of times now as I'm writing something, I'll think of the, the, the background music first, and then I'll write the, the scene that goes with it afterwards, or I'll draw the picture first, and then I'll fill in the, the actual written stuff later. It'd be much more convenient if it were the other way around. But So that's why like there's like uh, pictures and there's music associated with this particular book. And I had, a, I had some of that before, but over the like intervening years, I added to that, and Eventually, I don't know, a couple decades later, I decided that I was going to try to publish it. Um, so publishing this sort of thing, like, this is a cautionary tale for anybody who wants to do, like, creative stuff. Like, if you if you do something that's too out of the out of the box, nobody knows how to categorize it. Okay. You know, and, and, and it makes it very hard to sell and to market. It took me a lot of, a long time to kind of figure out, like, who my audience would be and that kind of thing. Um, and I remember initially, this is probably... very hard for like uh, I think um, agents and sort of traditional book publishers to one take a chance on an unknown person their first novel and two if you want to do something that's uh, like the book the 13th hour is written from multiple different perspectives points of view and it's so the way I'd done that on the computer was uh, when I was writing it was to do it in different colors and just the idea of printing a book in multiple different colors having it written from different points of view and having pictures on top of that just like a like a marketing nightmare you know for people that that's not necessarily from my perspective but what other people have, have said um and uh so um 
cautionary. Not to say you shouldn't do it, because obviously I you know, did it anyway, but I, that's, that's one of the reasons I chose to independently publish it. And I, luckily, enough time had elapsed that uh, uh, there were plenty of tools to do that um, when I decided to do that. So, How did, what were some of the tools you used to independently publish? Yeah, so uh, before, it was basically the sort of thing where you would have to go to basically a vanity press and, and, and uh, print out um, you know, 500 to 1,000 copies of a book. Probably in black and white, in a, in a very fixed size. Um, store them in your basement. Put up all this money up front, um, and uh, you know, you're responsible for selling it. it. Sounds like the it sounds like the process <clears throat> hasn't changed since Eastman and Lear did like TMNT number one. It, like, it hasn't. It, it's, it hasn't. It, yeah, I mean, that's what they went through. The publishing world is very backwards. And, Large amounts of money are at stake, and they're just—they're very risk averse. And so, I mean, I, I get all that. Um, I think it does tend to limit people uh, producing things that are uh, unique. Um, although they would say that they—they're selling to a market, so different points of view. But um, thankfully, by the time that I had decided to publish this, um, you could essentially do it for free. Like I did it for free on Amazon. Um, there's a couple other companies that you can. That sort of thing. There's print-on-demand technology mm-hmm. where you basically don't have to buy like a thousand copies of your own book. Uh, you can buy one if you wanted to, and that's the whole purpose. Of, that was the whole purpose of me doing any of this. Is I just wanted to have one copy I could hold in my hand and yeah. look through it. I didn't care really about selling it. I couldn't, you know, yeah. one or two shits about the whole <laughs> thing. Like I just, I didn't, you know, I didn't. It wasn't like a, it just wasn't important to me. Uh, but. Um, uh, you can do that now. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, uh, so, you know, say what you want about Amazon. And, uh, they have their issues, I guess, but um, they made it accessible in a way that I think was never accessible for the common person before. Yeah. You can do this without spending like a ton of your own money for probably very little, little uh, in return. Um, so you, you basically, you create the whole manuscript like you would be here like you would anyway, although you're responsible for your own editing and the typesetting and all that kind of stuff. So that part is a lot of work. Um, but uh, you have full creative control, so that's the, the trade-off of it. And um, it's allowed me, like in the last book that I did, to insert things like links to music and you know things like that that uh, would be very difficult to do otherwise. But um, uh, And then from there, you can basically create one thing that's on my list is um, a book that I'm mentally writing at the moment yeah. just about yeah. about my dog and I yeah. or me and my dog but um, that's good stuff to know so you mentioned the music that links through your book is that also the same links that um, Josh brought uh, a couple of resin figures that he made of characters from his books that um, have this the packaging is awesome and we'll get into that they have these QR codes yeah. that we talked about earlier is that the same music that's linking from your book? Yeah, it's a whole bunch of tracks, and uh, you, can, you can find them. You can listen to them all free online um, on places like Spotify or Bandcamp. Yeah. Um, but the uh, uh, as a scene would be playing, like uh, that, the idea and, um, 
was that as you're reading the book, like you could basically click on a link, basically, and uh, you know listen to the, the soundtrack associated with right. that particular scene. That's how I envisioned it. And then when I was originally doing the the first the, the first book, I, I only had that concept in my mind. So I wrote a bunch of tracks that you know would go with certain scenes um, because uh, um, one of the things that I loving as a kid I would have I didn't have that much music accessible uh, when I was a kid and I had a bunch of tapes and things like that but one of the things I did have was um, soundtracks from, from uh, various movies you know uh, like Star Wars mm-hmm. you know those kind of things and they were and they, they were kind of hard I mean everything was kind of hard, hard to find and you kind of lucked out you could find it everybody was bootlegging something for the next person it's like I making guess, a tape yeah, mixed tapes know, and all that um, stuff but it's you know I guess this is this is probably just an artifact of being a kid, one not having money, not having a car, not knowing where to get things. And I, I mean, if you managed to find something, it was like you kind of held on to it. And it was kind of precious. So, like I had a couple tapes that I just I had this one tape. I think it was you know the movie Empire of the Sun. Yeah. So I listened to that thing so many times that um, you know uh, it's not one one side of it is basically you can't really hear you know, because because I listened to it. I wore it out so many times. You That's know? awesome. And so I, I, you know, those kind of uh, soundtracks would always be playing through my head, I guess, anyway. And so I wanted to do the same thing for whatever I did. And so I wanted uh, this book I wrote to have a soundtrack. Um, and so um, I'm holding a tape of uh, the soundtrack. One of this, one of, I guess, what'll be one of the soundtracks that goes with this particular book. Josh brought me a cassette tape, everyone. Yeah. It's amazing. And it's still in the, cell, the cellophane. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Well, Adam said he wanted to, he was, he was wondering about using some of this music uh, in his podcast. He's like backing tracks and stuff like yeah. that, which you can totally do. I brought him the least, least like accessible way of doing that. <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome. I'm going to, I do, I can't remember if I have a cassette tape player. I, yeah, I do okay. somewhere. But I'm gonna pre- I'm gonna put it in press play and hold my phone up to oh, it. Oh, okay, there you go. That's, that's, that's the best way to do it. That's, that's the true like. Uh, Bootleg, that's yeah, bootleg, big time. Bootleg of, like, yeah. So, I want to know about the music. Like, yeah, are you a musician from when you were a kid? I mean, I, I mean, I wouldn't say that. I use the word musician in a very loose uh, sort of thing. I'm not, I, I do have some some formal training. You know, I took piano lessons when I was a kid for a while. Do I remember anything of that time? I had a great teacher, um, and I'm sad to say that I I remember very little. I still can't read music very well. Um, I, but I, like I said, I've always been like a creative person. Um, I'd always had these mem- these uh, tunes and melodies floating through my head, and so uh, I got a keyboard sometime in college. I remember I went to, I walked a couple miles to like the local Radio Shack. I paid for this keyboard. I carried it back like it was a big, huge thing. I carried it back. I paid for it in with a check, which, which is what's awesome. that again? Yeah, no. yeah, yeah. Which, which was was awesome. For at the front um, and I carried it back it was this huge long thing uh, a couple miles back and uh, I still I still use that keyboard um, really you still have it that's I still awesome ha- I still use it uh, uh, I yeah, should, Yamaha I should, uh, no it's 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 a uh, true to form it's a Radio Shack brand hell yeah dude yeah you know and it still works fine uh, I've composed a lot of the music uh, with that it, it actually sounds pretty good but I should invest in like a, a more you know like a 
friendship like kind of thing but part of the part of the thing for me has always been like how much can I squeeze out of like uh, having the late the, the best and the the, the, um, the most expensive thing I guess has never been super attractive to me because it, it feels like I don't know I guess you can you don't have to have that to produce something that's great if you know what I mean I don't know totally yeah. Kurt Cobain man was known for that like having garbage picking up a garbage guitar yeah. and writing his music right yeah I so don't know. It, it, was, it was about him not his right yeah instruments like the, yeah. the great you know the, the, the fancy sort of thing right um, because like when you buy something like that it becomes like an investment you know and you're like yeah. now you have to like well it feels like you kind of have to do something with it but, right. Right. so um music I mean obviously influenced all this like uh, and you know if you were if you growing up uh, like I was growing up in this sort of part of the 90s and the, you know uh, into the 2000s 80s music was not very popular you know there's always like yeah there's always some people who listen to it but I kind of if you, if you wait long enough like stuff that's <laughs> popular uh, once upon a time will become popular again you know in a sort of a cyclical way so I realized sort of after the fact, after I started doing, after I made this, I think that there's this whole synth, synth wave movement, retro wave kind of movement, which is awesome. So many people creating great yeah. music out there. It just it blows my mind. It's more 80s than anything that was in the 80s. But it's, <laughs> really? It's, yeah, yeah, I mean, that's a great, like... Um, it's great stuff. What Do, do you have any, like, the, any music, uh, you know, creators or artists that you, present day... That you can that, that, that think of like, off the top of your head. Oh no, man! There's so many. Because uh, I'm, I love that scene as well. That music right great. now. I mean, I, I so many. Uh, there's um, uh, uh, there's a there's a, a group, um, uh, Gunship, which is great. Gunship is. Uh, I was just gonna say Gunship. gunship. I was gonna. Uh, electric Youth. Yeah. Um, Laserhawk. Yeah. Uh, uh, FM eighty four. Yeah. Think. So many out there, uh, and if you go on YouTube and just type in synthwave, or yeah. you, you go on to um, Spotify and type that retrowave or synthwave or chillwave, and there's so many great artists like yeah. producing. And on my page, I've like uh, Instagram page, I've you know tried to like try, try to give sh- uh, shout outs to people like I you know like I find their tracks and stuff like that. Gunship is one of my favorites. It's, it's amazing, amazing. Like, what people are able to do, um, and so. You know, and a lot of folks they, they they produce everything digitally. It sounds it sounds great. It sounds so pristine and everything like that. And it's just really it's really cool to be kind of be a part of that. Okay, guys. Yo. Oh, uh, we lost track of time. Okay. Yeah. Well, you want you want us to pack it up? Okay. We'll get out of here. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Nice, nice gentleman. <laughs> Let's um. Let's finish this thought. Then yeah, we'll move then on. We'll move on to yeah. another place. Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, there, there's so many great folks out there. Like, and, and if you're interested in any of that kind of stuff, um, you should go onto YouTube, Spotify, Spotify, any of those places, and check it out. There's so many great people out there. Right. I found a lot of them through uh, YouTube as well. Um, just any search engine, but um, that synthwave stuff, and it's influenced so much of what I'm doing now and it's kind of like it's all in a way like protecting the 80s or like you know yeah, yeah, yeah. in a music music museum so right, kind of right, right. yeah let's, let's come back to that alright
All right, so we're back. Uh, we, we changed locations. This is Gorilla Gorilla Podcasting at its best. Um, so we really have off. We were talking. We were wrapping up the synth wave and the music. Yeah. I, what did um, so did I you grab that tape? Uh, it's a good. It's a good. It's a good visual. I think. Uh, did I grab it? Thank you. Oh no. Awesome. Like All right. Um, I guess. Yeah. So, if I, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the synthwave guys do a lot of stuff digitally. Although a lot of really amazing musicians, not that you have to play instruments to be a musician. I don't know. Whatever. But um, I think if I were, uh, I, I do everything sort of like the backwards way or whatever. So I end up playing, um, like for example, this particular. Um, tape that I'm holding long ago, not so far away, which is the music for the 13th hour, I would actually, I would play the stuff on the keyboard, and then I would record that, and then record vocals, um, add that in manually, and then record like guitar sections and stuff like that, all manually, and so one of my projects for the future would be learn how to do a lot of that digitally, because it, it's just easier, it's just much easier to do, and, and you can get a more professional sound, I think, but neither here nor there. But uh, that's uh, that's my old school side coming up. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I mean, that's that's. I, I was thinking about doing the music for the podcast, like instead yeah. of using what Anchor offers. Yeah. Um, and if I did, it would be very close or very similar in style and flavor to what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So when you, if you guys, um, when it, when you tune into your podcast, Thirteenth Hour Podcast. Right. Um, it opens up with that ballad right and it's like when you sit there and you listen to it and I, I'm so glad that you let it play out a little bit mm-hmm. and so you can get the flavor and it completely sets the tone um, of the podcast and it's got this just like sort of like I mean crazy melodic just like deep 80s I guess never any story was a really good um, yeah you know flavor or like influence that that i hear coming through um yeah, let me know what you want I'll, i'm happy to make you something yeah yeah if you're something in particular you're looking for yeah I'll, I'll do my best that's awesome yeah um all right so the book the music today you handed me two uh resin figures and they're characters from the book right. logan and aurora, aurora. Yeah, to, to me. um Tell me about, this is where, so tell me about a brief synopsis of their story in the book. Yeah, so basically um, the, uh, the premise is that Logan is an orphan uh, who at age 18 is drafted into his kingdom's army. Um, he's by nature uh, somebody who's kind of a dreamer, has always kind of wished he could go out and do things that he's read about in comic books and, and and things like that, but uh, he's led a relatively, um, aside from losing his parents at a fairly young age, he's led a relatively isolated and kind of sheltered life in this orphanage, and he's grown up there for basically the past, you know, 13 plus years. His best friend is, the only other person who's been there as long as he has, is this uh, now woman named Aurora, who's a little bit older than he is, um, and uh, they live in this really small, tiny little um, sleepy village. So at age 18, he goes off and joins his, his nation's military, and, uh, and 
So he leaves Aurora behind, and it's sort of the only home that he's uh, that he's at least aware of um, as an as an adult. And so he gets tasked with uh, through a lot of various things. Um, he's not a natural soldier. In fact, he's fairly he hates the whole thing. Um, but through a combination of a bunch of things, he ends up becoming this picked into this sort of special unit uh, called uh, Imperial Rangers, and is the king. Has, uh, decides that he wants this group to go out into the world and find the secret to eternal life. And so he and this group of other uh, seven people um, end up being trained for about a year, year or so to, to do that. And they're trained in all variety of different things. Um, and uh, they go on this mission around the world, uh, basically. And uh, not long after uh, the mission starts, um, basically disaster strikes and he's basically stranded by himself um, and so he has a choice to make you know whether I just sort of jump ship and desert at this point and go back home um, no one would ever know the difference or do I continue on in this and go around and try to complete this journey um, as a at least an ode to my uh, like basically fallen teammates um, and along the way he ends up encountering Aurora again uh, and the two basically go on the journey together what the known world is um, to these different parts. Um, and I kind of had done it as sort of like a, if you know, like the earth, wind, water, fire, kind of like um, elements elements and stuff like that. Um, I did, I, I used those as the sort of four, quote unquote, four corners of the earth. Although there actually is a fifth, which is like the, the dream world. Um, and so uh, in, Japanese, <laughs> in Japanese esoteric Buddhism, which is, I realize it's not, what I was thinking of at the time. There's like, again, those five different elements, but the fifth kind of thing is what's called the void or like sort of empty space. Um, and so I was kind of channeling that sort of thing in writing the story. Uh, and so it's kind of a mishmash of a lot of different uh, films that I had liked as a kid. You know, like you said, The Never Ending Story, uh, like The Last Starfighter. Are you a Dark Crystal fan? Uh, you know, I've seen it a couple different times. Um, I found it a little slow as a kid. I think I actually fell asleep in it. I did. I, I watched it again as, uh, later on, and I, I love like kind of the, the mythology behind it and everything like that. Um, I guess I have mixed feelings about it. It didn't have the same kind of. Uh, I totally agree. I've always felt like yeah. there's. I've always felt like there's, I mean, I love the Dark Crystal. It's huge in my 80s nostalgia, but of those, all those movies, it was always like more, it was always highly regarded, but lower on the tier of like rewatchability. Yeah, it's sort of like the enjoyability factor. I don't know. And there was, I have to say, there was. The new Netflix show is awesome. Have yeah, you seen it? It looks great. It's I amazing. have not seen it, and it looks awesome. I have to say, like, um, I heard that the original author, Michael Andrew, Everending story did not actually like the movie at all, um, and the, the the book is much different than the movie. But there's something of, I think was something is still something about the movie. I love that combination of this fantasy story in clearly a fantasy setting, right? But then they have all the other things of the era, uh, which it could be a negative, but for me it's a positive. Like the the synthesizer music and um, 
uh, things like that that kind of make it, and then the, the opening song, the theme song, and everything like that, that uh, make it a, a unique kind of time capsule. And for me, at least, that's something I, I wanted to. I wanted that juxtaposition where the characters were um, uh, uh, were accompanied by this uh, score that was that was it was almost a juxtaposition from what you would think is a traditional kind of quote unquote fantasy kind of style of music where it's like lutes and I don't know what, whatever it is whatever they're playing like Tolkien-esque settings and <laughs> flutes and stuff like that. And the other thing I guess pan, pan flutes. Yeah, I don't, I don't, yeah. And not that there's anything wrong with it, but I just. I don't know. I guess I guess like the the idea that as as our main character is flying through the air. So he, one of the things that he ends up encountering is like because he has no ship or anything like that, he encounters this magical basically hoverboard that allows him to fly through the air, like kind of like Michael J. Fox in Back to the Future awesome. Two. <laughs> um, awesome. uh, play the Navigator is another. Yes, where, I've been meaning to rewatch that it's great. so it's much, great. It's, Every, and I always forget. I'm like, great. ah, it's a good one. And the other thing, so the other thing, I guess, that um, about a lot of these uh, these movies at the time is that they they gave a window for even though they were for kids many times, they gave a window into I guess what I felt was like kind of like quote unquote adult kind of things where they would say bad words and they would they would sort of rebel against the system. And uh, so I kind of like that. And so when I wrote these these books, they don't talk in like. Um, they talk. The characters talk in a very kind of casual way. In fact, I, I mean, I you know was influenced a lot by a lot of those '80s John Hughes movies, where the where the characters and the characters here are essentially teenagers. You know, um, so when they're talking with each other, it's in a very you know kind of casual way. It's not like the one of the things I guess I always found difficult about um, traditional kind of fantasy books is that. They're so stilted in the way that they talk. It's so hard. To, I always found it hard to understand. Um, and I realized that that's, you know, it's us looking back at, you know, what, what I guess may have happened in, like, the Middle Ages or something like that. Sure. It's a fantasy thing. It's, it could happen anytime. Sure. And do people actually talk like that? Right. The actual time itself? I don't know. So um, I liked how they, they talked in a very casual way that they every now and then they I hate to be like uh, pro profanity or whatever, but I mean, every now and then they they would say a few bad words because yeah. that's what people, especially teenagers, that's what they do. I mean, it's, you know, that's, that's the way they talk. And so organic. Yeah, I guess, I guess, I guess so. Um, and if you look at some of those movies back at the time, uh, even Flight of the Navigator, which was like a, a Disney movie, you know, they'll they'll they'll, they'll throw it out like. You know, there's any f bombs, right? I think that's probably a little no. bit too risky for Disney. Sure, uh, but they'll, you know, they'll have like, uh, you know, they'll have some bad words. And uh, I mean, Transformers the movie was like when it came out, it was like, yeah, and they say shit in it, you know, they, like yeah. Do that. Uh, I don't that. But, it's when like Unicron is like, I think one of the humans says it, or maybe it's Bumblebee. I can't remember. Yeah, that's, that's a lot, right? that's, like I mean, shit. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> So every, every watching movies with my parents as a kid was always a bit awkward because like when they would when they would someone would say that on screen and like someone would say like oh that's just rig PG or something like yeah that. I remember <laughs> that man that exact line of dialogue right there would come out of my parents or my grandparents or whoever was with me it was like and I'd be like oh you know like you just kind of pretended it didn't happen yeah yeah it's okay don't 
Stop that! <laughs> yeah. So, um, I wanted to kind of include that uh, because that's what made those movies seem real to me. Yeah. That they, they didn't censor them. They didn't sort of dumb themselves. Cursing makes you smarter or anything like that. It's just the, the idea that you're, you're sort of censoring it because like innocent minds, quote unquote innocent minds can't handle that. It wasn't refined or processed. It I was guess, like, yeah, it yeah. was, but it also like, they didn't go out of their way. Right, right, right yeah. yeah. There was a, there was a charm to it. Right, it, you know, it's, it's like a spice, sprinkling yeah. in a little bit here and there. Right. Um, so I thought that was kind of, uh, that's something I wanted to include. Uh, so what, um, with, I'm sure with the book. Selling this really well. So I can't no, no, no. There's, 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 there's a shit a few times. <laughs> I'm sold. Said shit, I'm sold. Um, so yeah, I, I'm going to, as I always do, I'm going to have pictures of the figures and the tape and all that stuff. Yeah. But, uh, and I haven't, obviously, because I haven't finished Hooked on Phonics, I haven't read your book yet. Um, it's, yeah. that, it's that kind of interview. Yeah, yeah. I haven't read your book yet. But um, oh, these, I can send you a copy. I would love, I would love to, I would love to read. Yeah. But uh, these two characters specifically, obviously they're the main characters. Do you have ancillary characters that you want to do this with? Oh, like with figures, like wrestling yeah. figures. Yeah. Um, you know, I thought about it. Uh, these are, these are actually a fair amount of work to do. Um, but I, I would, I would love to do um, uh, at least. Two Two or three others, and if I get the energy at some point, I I, I think I would like to do them again, even just the initial sculpts. You, know, Re, you mean re, redo them? No, just or like uh, they're 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 uh, other characters in the book that yeah. I think would be fun just to create. A villain. Yeah, so there is a villain, um, and he's 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 drawn in this really like black uh, black armor. And this is so stereotypical that the the, uh, the villain has to be like a darker thing. Like, yeah. Right? That's, that's, Ah, it works. It, yeah, yeah. Uh, but but he's but uh, he's a really cool character, um, and, and I felt it was important to, to create a, a, a. He's not even really a villain, but he, he serves that role kind of for a time in the book. And I, I really wanted to make it. Like I said, the book is told from different points of view, so there's a. This, it's told from his point of view for parts of it, and I wanted to make him uh, a little bit more nuanced than just the bad guy. Sort of a shade of gray. Yes, he does some bad things, but you know he has a reason and rhyme. You know for all that, and you get to understand some of that. Um, but he wears this suit of armor. He's a wizard, and he wears this suit of armor that's basically sort of metallic. Of course, it's metal, but black. Um, uh, and it's uh, it's got these horns, and he has this sort of curved, really big curved sword and a huge cape and everything like that. Um, he's a very larger than life kind of character. I think it would be a really fun kind of character to. To create in one of these one of these these forms like this, it'd be really cool. I think if you, uh, char character to dress up as a, like a Halloween costume. Really, that, that's probably what I was thinking of. Like, it's sort of like a, the equivalent of I guess like a, a, a Darth Vader, right? Sure. You know that kind of thing. I was just gonna say like, at first describing it, the idea there's so many wizards and there's so many armored villains, but the idea of like an armored wizard isn't something you see very often. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of wanted. To, him to him to have like a a little bit more to him uh, than just that sort of thing. So um, so I guess that's an example of it. 
so that's one character and then um then then there are some traditional wizards like they're sort of like you know uh, uh, a little bit like uh, <laughs> have you seen the movie like grumpy old men yeah but there's a couple of them like that you know jack lemon and walter Matthau. that's awesome i mean there's where, where they're like you know they're fumbling around with stuff they're like bickering constantly and there's, so there's three wizards that kind of serve as the the, the king's like unofficial council and uh, so I think it would be really fun to do do some of those those guys because they're they're really a lot of fun to write and then um, so this character so uh, this is the first book basically and I'm working on um, some subsequent ones that tell the story after this book ends and so it's mostly this one's mostly told from Logan's perspective um, but uh, the next ones are more told from her perspective or Aurora's perspective and she um, it's kind of a long story but she ends up uh, not becoming quite a superhero but uh, she learns that she has some magical abilities and uh, she dons a cape and a cowl and, you know, uh, does, that's awesome does the whole rooftop thing yeah. so uh, uh, becomes this character called uh, um, uh, sort of like a, a phoenix kind of character where she has like a she learns how to produce fire Awesome. I think it'd be a really fun character to, to sculpt in a, in, a, um, uh, in a position where she's like holding a fireball or something. Sure. Like that. Um, That's awesome. So I, I think there's there's some I'd like to do with that. It just depends on how much energy I have. <laughs> yeah, so, energy and time. Yeah. Um, all right, we're gonna take a quick break. All right, so we are back. Like I said before, we had to switch locations. We're at the end of a hallway. So instead of wind and sirens and dogs, we've got, we've got man, a, a group of the most idiotic looking kids in the, in the hotel gym <laughs> passing by probably in a minute um, and hotel goers. But uh, so far we've been lucky tonight. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to get into the, I mean, you've, you've done this almost like, I don't know if you did this intentionally or you realized that you did this, but like in the 80s, any property that was targeted towards not just kids, but entertainment, usually, and I know this, you wouldn't say that this whole book, music, the, the whole endeavor of the 13th hour, right. it's not really, it's kid friendly. In a way, uh, yeah, but it's not geared right. towards. Yeah, you know, it took me a long time to figure that out. Originally, <laughs> so originally, I, I thought it would be like a sort of a like a young adult kind of thing. Sure. Um, but I've since realized that when you say that, we use those words in a publishing context. You're basically um, meaning that it's going to be for someone who's like, you know, uh, like 14 to 16. Generally speaking, it's like uh, it's sort of like um, I don't know, diversion or the Hunger Games or that kind of thing. Um, you have to be kind of careful of what you put in the book. Uh, I've talked about this before, and it's a very weird thing where somehow we feel the need to protect children from certain things, even though they're already exposed to lots more in their lives. Um, certainly in other kinds of media, but they may be exposed to a lot more shit in their own personal lives, and yet we we try to protect them in literature of all places. Yeah, I find that just very weird. But uh, 
So um, I, I, it just, it's, it's, I, I, I think it's probably a book that's, uh, it's marketed more toward probably like people like you and me who kind of grew up with '80s stuff, and I think children could read it um, and you know could enjoy it. which are kind of like geared toward people who grew up in that era. Right. You know, it's all, in, a way, in a lot of ways it's easier to write for adults and a lot less restrictions that you have or expectations. That, uh, that, you know, when I, when I go to events and stuff like that, you know, parents will often ask, like, so I'd like to get this for my son who's 12. And I'm like, yeah, it's fine. Just be aware that, you know, there's, 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 there's certain things in it, like there's some mild violence and there's, they say a few bad words here and there. And sometimes people are like, oh, that's yeah, that's bonkers. Cause like you look back at like the John Hughes movies, they were about the kids of that time, right? And yet they had the adult themes, yeah. But they weren't adult movies, but adults enjoyed them and kids enjoyed them. And it was like there was no, it was like, yeah, it's Halloween, go trick or treating, right? Okay, see you in a bit. Right. You know, there was no like, yeah, I know. <laughs> explain that to folks they're like uh, yeah especially if you explain it to like um, people in position like like a publisher or yeah. something like that they're like no yeah. you know sort of a very kind of like corporate way of looking at it I get it it's fine it's those are just I mean those are just the times that we're yeah, in it's, it's, unfortunately it's, it's the way it is um, so you gotta work around it right, or work with exactly. it yeah so I think but it, it is a very weird like, a kind of very weird like phenomenon yeah the reason I ask is because in the 80s, everything, you know, if we take the example of, like, um, kids' entertainment properties, again, we just talked about who this is intended for, yeah. but they always had, like, a trident or three, three-pronged approach right. to marketing, and yeah. so it was always, like, almost always it was a toy line, a TV show, and a, and a comic book, and they would hit every aspect and every corner of the market. And so what you've done here with the music, the book, and, the, and the, now the resin figures, um, I wanted to talk a little bit about, because um, me having come right off of the Chud Baby and the Cygor figure this last month or two, um, and I always give my patrons, like, the photos and the pics and pictures and, like, the behind the scenes of my, with my podcast, right. and I'm going to be showing these off. And so these resin figures that you made um, of Logan and Aurora, uh, again, I'll show pictures of them for anybody who's on the Patreon. Uh, they're, I mean, they're phenomenal. Like, everything from the figure, the sculpt, and the packaging, and Josh went, like, on top of all, on top of all that, they're glow-in-the-dark. <laughs> and, like, uh, I was telling Josh earlier, like, for me, glow-in-the-dark resin many figures or whatever, or just figures in general, toys, um, was always to me like the next level, the next step that I would need to get to. And right off the bat, that's the first one that he does. Um, in the packaging, he's got like the card back, it's in the pla the plastic bag, um, but he's also got this lenticular, is it a card or a sticker, is it just yeah, a, card? a card? Okay, lenticular card, like the motion picture of um, like the old, uh, 
what were they called again? Sports, Sports flick, uh, flick baseball, baseball cards. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of a lot of comic companies recently, DC in particular, yeah. has been coming coming back to the lenticular. Um, but just all the way around, it's awesome. I want to start talking about the sculpt. Yeah. So tell me about the sculpt. So, um, what'd you use? So I started off with a, a paperclip, basically, or a paperclip, I think, to form the the, the skeleton of it, um, and then wire to to get the position correct. Um, I think it actually, I think I initially was kind of fiddling around with my kids and, and, and drew this as a, as a background, um, this, this one right here. Um, and I was like, oh, you know, that'd be really fun to make like a clay figure out of it. And I had no idea how to do it. Um, so use like an armature, like a... Yeah, yeah, yeah I mean, it, it just, you know, thankfully there's so many kind folks on the internet that put all this stuff out there. Absolutely. How to, how to do this. Because, again, like, you know, 30 years ago or whatever, wanting to do this, I'd have no clue. There was so few resources. You'd have to know somebody that did it, but if you didn't, you were kind of like, um, SML, you know. So I did, uh, I, I made like an armature there, um, and I, I used this um, product that I think you use as well, um, the epoxy sculpt. Aves. Aves yeah. epoxy sculpt, a two-part, uh, basically clay that it doesn't harden for, the stuff I use doesn't harden for over an hour, uh, so it gives you enough time to let it harden, kind of, but then you can basically sculpt it like you would, um, you know, any other kind of modeling clay. Anybody that uses Aves, and if you know me, I use Aves all the time. I did the Chud Baby, but on my custom figures, I use that all the time. And the way they say you're supposed to use Aves is you mix the two parts together till it's seamless, and then you let it sit yeah. until it hardens, just a little, maybe like half ten, half an hour, ten minutes to half an hour. But I find that that's getting too hard for me. I like to go right into it and at least get the shapes. Yeah. And then as it hardens and you probably get like an hour, I find an hour at most before you can't, before it won't stick to other things or before you can't really get the details in it that you want. Right, yeah. So I, uh, I did that. I would basically put the clay around the skeleton and uh, I did the, so for this particular figure, this Logan figure is the one I did first. Um, just so what it looks like is that there's a, a basically a, he looks like he's standing on top of a surfboard in the book. It's like a hoverboard. Uh, think Michael J. Fox and Back to the Future 2. <laughs> um, and or like a snowboard, I guess. Um, and uh, he's kind of leaning. Uh, and so he's, his, his knees are bent. He's, you know, uh, bent at the waist. Um, and he's got his arms out, you know, for stability. Silver um, Surfer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Uh, and then, then the last thing I did was the head, um, which took the longest. Uh, doing the head was, was difficult. Um, but it was basically, like, I, I think I did that as just basically a, um, uh, like a, an oval, like making a, a, a ball. And then um, I think it took me forever to kind of make the depressions in the, the face just right so there would be a nose, eye sockets, and uh, a mouth. And from there, I was just kind of wait, waiting until the clay hardened enough to allow me to put in other details uh, without, without it deforming further. So the common thing, I don't know if you experienced this, would be like I would put something in, I would put in some kind of detail, but because I was, I had to hold it in a particular way, something else squish would, it. Yeah. yeah. It squished, and then Every I time. redo it, you know, it's this constant, like, back and forth kind of thing. 
So you'd sculpt in layers and let one layer yeah. cure. I mean, that's, yeah. Yeah. And then, so, his head, basically, he looks like if you were to take off uh, the initial, I think I have some photos on Instagram or whatever, but he basically doesn't look like the initial thing before I put his hair on. Um, he doesn't look like he has the top of his skull. Right. And so, the hair, so just as a frame of reference, if you remember the character, I don't know, Betray you in the never any story. He's like big mop of hair, like it's all over the place. And uh, I don't know, uh, the Cliff Secor character from the Rocketeer has this big, like, you know, mop of hair. Um, so I was going for something like that where the character is flying through the air, so his hair is going to be all over the place. And I wanted a big, like, fro, I guess. Yeah, so, cloth. Yeah. And and so, wind blown. Yeah, exactly. It's more articulate than uh, <laughs> And so I, I put that in as another layer on top of it, right. and doing the like the little, I don't know, like strands of hair. It would, it would take like a little piece of clay, stick it on there, kind of like, you know, put. Uh, I, so I got some tools, uh, clay modeling tools that I would stick in there, uh, kind of make make lines and things like that. So um, that's how I did the hair. But I would say the the face, like the eyes and everything like that, the nose, all those parts. It took that part. It looks great, man. I mean, it really looks like. I mean, I'm looking at it, and to me, it, it's got that '80s uh, board game piece feel. Yeah. yeah you know, yeah, like, yeah. and I, I mean that in the best way. Like, right. some of my favorite minifigures that I had right. in the, from the '80s came from board games, yeah, exactly. like the ET one. I remember. Right. right. That's kind of what I was going for. Um, the other one, so the Aurora figure. Um, for some reason, it was the second one I did, so it should have been easier. I picked a, a body position, which was, I don't know, I don't know why I did this, it was much more difficult. She's walking, but her it's upper... It's dynamic as hell, though. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I remember this uh, Marvel, draw your own Marvel character thing with, from back when I was a kid, so I was like, pick dynamic positions to draw figures in, right, for comics or whatever. So, I don't know, I, she's, hold, she's, she's wearing a, a dress, and she's holding up... Um, like one part of it so she doesn't trip over it but she's looking the other way um, so getting the right position of, like, so she's an idiot yeah she's like walking one way <laughs> looking the other way right and uh, was I don't know for whatever reason it took me a long time to get that correct and then the folds of the dress and everything like that so it was a lot easier to draw that than it was to sculpt it because you have to make it look three it's awesome though especially how it's sitting in the package against the drawing it's like exact yeah so this was the base uh, I drew it from, and then uh, um, I kind of wanted to, uh, uh, so for her, so another one, so getting her face and everything like that was also, like I said, you know, a difficult thing. For her hair, um, I wanted her to have like the big sort of 80s uh, uh, hairdo, right? Yeah. So it's like all over the place. Earlier, what'd you say earlier? Tell me what you said. Oh, uh, it was uh, the, uh, uh, so the, the Beverly character in uh, like Leah Thompson, yeah. yeah, right. That's like her best. I think that's her, that's her peak. Yeah. For me. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, uh, I think, she, I think that was a, it was a turning point in her career. Plus, she was in a band in that movie. I forgot, yeah, right? So, right. Yeah, I've, I've come to realize that, uh, you know, people often, I, people have asked me, so are these characters based on real people? And um, they're not really. I wrote the story when I was like 18 or something like that. So I mean, I. I didn't really have like a lot of people to kind of go by. I wasn't basing them off friends or anything like that. 
So they were really based off these characters of movies that I really liked. It's like archetypes. Yeah, exactly. So I, I, I this is all kind of looking back. Like I realized that um, after the fact, uh, I was listening to something that uh, Leah Thompson was doing. Uh, she was talking about something. Like, uh, I was like, oh my god, that's 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 Aurora's voice. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, and, uh, and I, so I think she's like, you know, sort of like the the Beverly character. Man, I love that. Yeah, and then, then Logan is probably like a combination of like, I don't know, you know, Cliff Seaport from the Rocks here, Michael J. Fox from Back to the Future, or yeah. like, you know, the Alex from the Last Starfighter, Starfighter and the, the Young Indiana Jones, I believe. River Phoenix? No, it's, what's his name? Oh. Sean Patrick. Yeah, it's Sean Patrick. You know, powder. You can just call him Powder. Yeah, exactly. You know, these, you know, sort of a those kind of characters. I, there was this sort of combination of all these kind of things that went into it. But anyway, like for, for Aurora, I wanted her to have the big hair. And so I think with her hair, I had to do it in several parts. Um, if you take it out of the package, you can see in the back, like there's all the different layers and stuff like that. And uh, I don't know, I, I spend way too much time. You know, man, I mean, sculpting hair for me is like, it's what, it's what makes, her, makes her breaks a figure, it really uh, is. Uh, at yeah, least on the customs that I do, because yeah, a lot of yeah. times. You do a great job on it. Yeah. Thanks, man. A lot of times the face is just a repaint, unless I'm adding features to it. But the hair I always try to make unique. Um, hair, hair's tough, dude. Hair's yeah. tough. Um, all right, so tell me about the uh, the casting process that you went through. Yeah. So uh, again, you know. Uh, and the molding. Right. I mean, it's it's all thanks to people on YouTube who put up about how to do this I would have and I would say the uh, the smooth on folks that, that's the company that I used that did the, the, uh, the, the, the basically the chemicals they used to make all this stuff they have a lot of great tutorials as well but um, essentially it's a um, once the clay figure is done you basically put it into um, I use this thing called a two-part mold so I put clay on, on like basically the table and put the figure in it put a couple like toothpicks in various points and those are going to be like little air vents and then I would pour this uh, mixture of um, uh, basically silicone over that the, the top of it and that would form one part of the mold and then when that dried I would flip the whole thing over remove the clay and then pour another layer of uh, silicone on there and then basically cut the whole thing open and remove the the, uh, the clay figure and what it would what I would end up with is basically two negatives of the of the minifigure. Two negative halves. Yeah. What did you uh, you know when you when you get that first on the two part mold um, and you're make getting ready to pour the second half? Right. What did you use to keep the silicone from sticking to itself? Um, some people use Vaseline. Some people use like a spray anti adhesive. Or yeah, whatever. so I did use that. I did use that. I'm trying to remember um, what I did. Baby powder? You can use that? Used, yeah, I think I, I think I may have used some talcum powder. Um, to, so it wouldn't stick. There was definitely a time when it did stick and I just had to cut the whole thing open. Did that work if, when you work, cut it? It did work fine. Because the other, the last two part I made, I forgot to put something on it yeah. to keep it from sticking. And, and it just seals to itself. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think what I. And I, th I think I did that for one of them. 
and it actually was fine because they just basically carefully kind of cut the whole thing open. Um, yeah. And, uh, and it was fine. So. Did uh, what? Uh, I think you told me earlier. What resin did you end up using? Was it smooth? Was it, was it a smooth on? It was a smooth on product. It was. Uh, I want to say it was the. It was the one where you had to the, wait about thirty-five minutes. Initially, the first one I used was only like seven minutes or something like that. Uh, and I forget the number. It may have been thirty-five or something like that. If you're not if you're not in a rush to get the casts made, the longer the longer that it takes for the resin to cure is, yeah. is better. Because that allows the air bubbles to raise, especially if you're not using a pressure pot. Right. Um, and that's, yeah, that's the biggest obstacle, I think, in resin casting, period. It's been a while since I uh, have done that. Um, so I casted all these guys about a year ago. And I haven't really done much of it since. I, it was about 60 of them, I guess, that I did at the time. Uh, and basically, I think I ran, I ran out or almost ran out of the, the stuff that I used. And I was like, wow, that's a lot of work. And so <laughs> I kind of put it aside to do the finishing process. So the finishing process is after the after you take the figure out, uh, it's it's still not done yet because there's often like a layer of resin that gets in between the two the flash, of flashing. flashing, and that you just cut out and stuff like that. But there's often like areas that either they don't fill in entirely or they fill in a little bit too much, and or they're a little bit rough. And there's like a, that layer uh, or that line that's uh, I don't know it's probably named for this or they that goes down the, the seam line the seam line in between like the two halves yeah. like you can see it on like plastic army men and stuff yep. like that um, I wanted to get rid of that so I would take like a file like a small like um, I don't know, like jeweler's file and file that down uh, but there's often there was often like more that needed to be done with that um, and so each 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 figure would take I don't know, you know sometimes a couple hours just to dude it's to, totally to, your to time get it People don't realize that, like we were talking about on your podcast, you know, like you look at it, you get, you have one perception, one perspective of what it is, what what it took to make it. But like you said, two hours of like mold, even more molding, casting, cleaning, cleaning it up, cleaning the sculpt. Uh, what was your percentage of uh, like your ratio of stuff that stuff that you threw away? Because it came out yeah. so bogus to the stuff that you actually kept. So mine's like at least 50-50. Yeah. So initially, Sometimes. yeah. Initially, with the first couple, it was like I don't know, you know, it was probably like eight to one or something like that. But as I got better at it, um, I had two molds going at the same time, and I would. It was it was basically uh, every one I cast that I could use. Now there may have been some touch up that I needed to do. Like for example, <laughs> I would like I, I think I mentioned before. Like sometimes a nose would cast. Like yeah. You'd, like you'd end up with like the, you know like a like a skeleton. Yeah. Sort of, like, kind of, like there's actually you know, there's a hole there. But there's no actual nose. You should save those from now on. Be like the zombie version of the right. Character. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And there's ways to fix that. Um, and so I, I often could fix them. Um, and I didn't have to toss them out. By like sculpting it back. Filing, making you know, or or actually. Really careful, like you can put just a drop of the resin right there. Oh yeah. And then, right on. Uh, you know, it'll if you can get it right, it'll actually get in that little hole that, that needs to be filled, and you can kind of file around it. But it's a lot more work. Um, so one thing, so one thing that happened with, with uh, this, and you can kind of see it with, with 
these characters to the original sculpt. He has a his thumb is like this, basically like like in the state of Michigan, you know, it's like sure. a, a mitt basically. And for some of them, like and even here, you can kind of see it where the thumb didn't really cast. It was a tiny little thing. Yeah. And so I would have to like kind of work around that. Um, here, like you, know, you can see like the fingers. Um, I had it just sort of like that, and so sure. I just kind of left it like that. But I think on the originals, on the original sculpt, it may have been a bit more defined. So there's there's always like little aspects of things that were kind of like, uh, you know, that's okay. I'm just gonna leave it like that. It doesn't have to be exactly perfect. But um, uh, if I if I try to get it, um, there would be some where I'd have to add like the thumb. Yeah. That's awesome. I'm glad you used them. There were so many times when I made Chud Babies that it was like, it's like, God, you know, like, yeah. and it would just, I couldn't use it, or the, right. there'd be an air bubble, like, in the middle of his eye, or I don't know, whatever. Yeah. Um, so, so one of the things I, that, um, is when you, when you, in these particular figures, when you put them in, there, and there, there definitely are air bubbles in there, probably, uh, there's not big ones, uh, there's, I would do things to try to eliminate as many air bubbles as possible, but you can sort of see some tiny ones because they are glow in the dark. So um, when you when they glow, you can actually see like little like tiny spots where um, there probably are air bubbles. Yeah. So. And the glow in the dark. So you said I would use powder for that, right? Yeah. What did I? I got. I found something maybe on eBay or something like that. A seller who was the actual powder itself was you can mix it into whatever you want. Paint case resin and then it would glow when exposed to sunlight like UV light or um, a strong enough flashlight or something like that uh, and so that's what I used I would mix it into the resin did um, you when I add colorant I have to you can only or you're only supposed to add the colorant to B part B okay. is that the same way or did you mix it into the just the whole mix I think I mixed it I would get the proportions right and then I would and I think I would just, yeah, I would just mix in, I would just mix it all together. Yeah. And maybe that wasn't the right thing to do, but um, I don't think I found. So I kind of had to like do that on the fly because I, I didn't, I didn't, wasn't able to find anybody else who was using, who was doing that sort of uh, technique. So yeah, I don't know. Um, so I'm looking at your packaging, and that was one of the. Uh, it was like a must-have for when I did my Chud Babies was having. Good packaging, yeah. Or like eye-catching, you know, something, something extra. Yeah. Um, Josh's packaging, and again, you can see pictures of it on the Patreon. But um, Josh's packaging reminds me of, and I think this was a lot of your intent was like the cereal prizes of the '80s, right. In a lot yeah. of ways. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, when you would you would open up a box of uh, cornflakes or something, like, and, and in the bottom of it. It was a little bag, and there was a toy, uh, kind of like a, almost like a Cracker Jack um, prize or something like that. And of that, I guess of that quality, but they were, they were a little bit more elaborate. And sometimes it would be like a little figure or a little thing you had to put together or whatever. And uh, I don't know, I, was, those, I always thought those things were awesome. Uh, and uh, we so seldom got cereal that actually had that stuff. It was there. always the garbage cereal. Yeah, it was always something like... You know, Mom wouldn't buy that. Play, you know, Exactly, like, where sugar is, like, the first ingredient. The best ones were the, um, like, Frankenberry, yeah, or blueberry, right. Frankenberry, whatever, Count Chocula. Yeah, with the little mar chalky marshmallows yeah. and stuff like that. And they would always have, like, the the, wor the ones that were worse, the worst for you always had seemed to have the best toys. Right. 
And uh, they would always like break like immediately or whatever. But they were always like uh, these little plastic kind of things that um, uh, that kind of would remind me of like they still do remind me of like the toys that uh, you used to be able to get in like the little capsules in vending vending machines, gumball machines. Um, and uh, so that's kind of what I was going for. That, that kind of look. And I thought for initially when I was doing it, I was trying to come up with a sculpt that would actually fit inside of a little capsule. Um, and, uh, and that's initially how I thought I would package these, is just inside a capsule. That's awesome. I, I, I mean, I love it. It's exactly, it's exactly the vibe you get. Um, but it's just packed with like, it's even got a QR code. If you, if you scan on Josh's, if you get one of these guys and you scan Josh's QR code, it takes you to, like we were saying, the music in the book, it yeah. takes you to music. Um, for the characters, it's own for the theme song. Yeah. <laughs> these glow-in-the-dark ones, like when I printed these cards out, just to say, because there's like two versions, there's a hand-painted version, but I haven't finished all the hand-painted ones, there's a glow-in-the-dark ones. Um, just to save kind of money on the production of these little cards, like I just had one printed out. So to to signify the glow in the dark thing, I got some glow in the dark like uh, oh, yeah. stickers. So this this little part glows in the dark. <laughs> Dude, it's like it's like every gimmick from the '80s yeah, yeah, all packed yeah. into one thing. Yeah, the only other thing I guess that um, I didn't have would be uh, like I feel like there's a lot. Of, I guess I could do this, but there was a lot of keychains you could get in the '80s with those little like little metal like little balls like yeah, yeah. go around yeah. this is the sort of thing that could be I guess a keychain so totally. I could have done something like that but totally. uh, I didn't think about that so. that's awesome man um, alright what else we we got anything else to um, cover it was uh, I, I would say that uh, if you are interested in um, this, this whole process of making your own figures and stuff like that I mean, even though we've talked about a lot of the technicalities and stuff like that, it's really a lot of fun. You should totally go for it. Um, I picked, in true form, I picked, like, the much more complicated, like, poses and stuff like that than you probably should do. But even that said, uh, you know, you can still do it. Like, it, it still worked out. So I think you should totally do, totally go for it. It's one thing to draw a picture, and it's another thing to actually hold that thing in your hand. Absolutely. I mean, that was a, that's it's one of the most gratifying events, you know, in someone who appreciates pop culture uh, paraphernalia, yeah. whether it's comics, um, toys, whatever. If you are a creative person and you've always had like this itch, right. when you actually do it, it's just like boom. Yeah, wow. Chad Baby was the first. I've customized toys figures, design toys, whatever, for the last nine years, but Chud Baby was the first that I, from the ground up, and it was my own, yeah. and it was one of the most gratifying experiences in my life. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, like, uh, so many of those um, uh, things that uh, many of us remember from, like, the 80s had, like, like you know, they had, like, associated comic or cartoon or things like that, and and there was often like a toy, like you mentioned, associated with it. Um, and uh, I guess it's just a different way of making that stuff real. Um, for me, it was a way of making these these pictures that I drawn uh, or these characters that I created in my head uh, kind of real in a just a different way, like a physical way. And it wasn't they weren't before, like in a, in a 3D way. So I think the other w- other way you could do it would be um, if you create 
movies or animation or that kind of thing. It's just another way of doing it. But I don't know. This is the way I. I uh, it's kind of true as to kind of the the, the, the scope or the, the, the vibe of the, the whole um, the whole look of the music that we put out. So it's awesome. Man. All right, guys, uh, just in closing, I want to thank Josh thank for traveling you. all the way from uh, Pennsylvania yeah. to Chicago just to be on the podcast. <laughs> um, my, my, my 10 listeners will appreciate it, and uh, it's been a blast. And for you guys uh, who, I'm going to let Josh plug all his stuff, but uh, he and I are going to do... Let's see, we did sort of a part one to this episode that you'll be able to find on his podcast. But we're also going to do, in the next few weeks, a follow-up to our Schwarzenegger extravaganza from two summers ago. Um, and we're Because Terminator, the new Terminator movie is coming out, so we are going to watch. Uh, we've been working through all the Terminator movies, including number three. Um, and we're going to just kind of rap about it probably in the next few weeks. So, um, so I'm looking at the figure. You got, I, you've got so many social media icons that I didn't know about. Are they all active? Oh well, um, yeah. I would say that they all are active. Um, I would say that the the uh, the ones that I tend to kind of post the most stuff on are Instagram and uh, uh, Twitter um, and Facebook. Uh, what are your handles on that? Uh, the Instagram one is the T H E. 13th hour, 13THHR, and there's two of them, and there's like one that's a general kind of, general one, there's, I don't know, it's like author stuff, there's like martial arts, and all these other things that are influences for these books, and then, um, and then there's a specific one that's for the podcast, and for soundtrack, like music kind of stuff, and that one's just the same, T-H-E-1-3-T-H-H-R dot O-S-T, the official soundtrack. So the hardest handle to remember ever yeah. in the history of handles. Yeah, exactly. So I'll be sure to post all that <laughs> stuff up there. <laughs> Actually, if you just, I think if you just look up, up or look up, look under my name, just and you'll find them. Josh Blum. Um, yeah, and if you just Google like uh, the 13th hour um, and my name, you, you'll be able to find all this stuff. But the actual website 13thhr.wordpress.com is where you can find links to all this stuff. And uh, I'm seeing Twitter DeviantArt. Uh, Tumblr. Is Tumblr still a thing? Uh, Facebook, Instagram. And then, so the music, like if you want to just listen to the music, you can listen to all of it. It's under Bandcamp, so it's like a, it's like a site where you can where a lot of indie artists post their stuff. And so if you just look up my name, you'll find it. Um, on Spotify, you can find at least like the first album. Uh, the EP is is on there. Um, and then the podcast is I don't know, like all a bunch of different places. iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher. How about the book? Uh, the book is on Amazon, too. You can just Google that or uh, go on Amazon and use their search engine, uh, The 13th Hour, or under, under my name. There's a, there's, a, there's a bunch of... So the main book is The 13th Hour. There's like a, a prequel um, that's uh, sort of a short... Not a short story, but like a novella. Um, there's a, one that just came out, uh, sort of like a... Again, like a, a short novel um, that takes place in the middle part of the, it's like an interlude, I guess, um, in the 13th hour, and there's, so there's, a, there's, a, there's a bunch of stuff, like a, a handful of different 
kind of books that go with it to complete the experience. Awesome. Um, and then lastly, if people want to get a hold of these figures. Uh, I don't know yet. Um, I, I have, a, you know, yeah, I, I, I was thinking I would just put them, I have like a little page where I, I'll sell some stuff like on, on basically on eBay, and I don't know if that's the best venue to do it. It's not. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but if they're but, there, they're there, so yeah, go no, for they're, it. they're not. I, okay. I haven't posted them yet. Um, I was going to like do a little research of what would be a good place to sell them, because... Like I, like I mentioned before, initially, like, it was going to be something that would just, you know, kind of, I was only going to charge, like, $5 for or something like that. Maybe, maybe I shouldn't do that. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> we'll talk about your marketing uh, uh, plan, Self-promo- execution. Self-promotion is not my thing. I, yeah. I, I hate doing that stuff. I get it. I get it, man. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, dude, seriously, like, if you guys get into Josh's stuff and you find that you're a fan of it, these figures are awesome and they're so worth it. Um, just it's like I said it's every 80s gimmick in a good way packed into one package so um, I'm sure if you reach out if they just reach out to you directly like people um, I think what I'll do for now is like if people like just contact me directly uh, through Instagram or uh, Facebook or my email address is on all the posts it's it's basically right w-r-i-t-e joshua blog at gmail.com you see Awesome, man. All right. Uh, and the next step uh, for all this stuff? The next step is I got to I gotta finish, uh, I gotta finish the, uh, the sequel, which has turned into two books to this, uh, to this. And then I've done a bunch of music tracks as a follow-up to this, this album. To the cassette? To the, yeah. Well, it's also a CD. <laughs> <laughs> it's also a CD. <laughs> which but it's guess, a cassette, so. Which, yeah, it's also a cassette as well. I don't know if I'll more cassettes. I remember when I got the shipment of cassettes. I love that, man. Um, my wife looked at it and she's like, wow, that's, now that's, that, now that's a good investment. <laughs> when was that? When was that? Oh, that was, that was a couple of years ago, you know. So two years ago you got a shipment of cassettes. In. 50 cassettes. I love that. The minimum that you can purchase. I love that. And like, you know. That's uh, awesome. 2017 you got a shipment of cassettes yeah. and you were like, they're here! It's a great day for me. Um, <laughs> that's awesome. Awesome, man. All right. Well, uh, thank you, Josh, again. Uh, It's always a pleasure. Uh, This has been You Like Toys podcast, episode 11. I am AC from AC Toy Design. Uh, I'm not going to plug myself on this one because I'm too tired to. And this is Josh's show. So uh, thanks for listening, guys. Um, Again, you can check out the Patreon for the visuals. And... We will see you in the future. Thanks, guys.